0: You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. We're starting a, a series today and for the next four weeks, and we're really going to be looking at one of the books of the Bible that is probably the most ridiculed, the most mocked, the most disbelieved book in all of the Bible. Scholars of the highest degree make fun of the story of Jonah. They kind of put the story of Jonah and the big fish kind of right up there on the same level with Goldilocks and the three bears. Now, what is the reason for that? Well, they just don't believe the Bible as a whole. And again, if there's any story in the Bible that shows that truth is sometimes stranger than fiction, I would agree with you. It is the story of Jonah. Again, when a man catches a fish, I mean, that's not real big news, is it? But when a fish catches a man, that is big news. Even though it sounds hard to believe, I do personally believe the story of Jonah literally happened exactly the way It is written and my default position is I believe it because it's in the Bible and I believe the Bible. I really have what I would say are two primary reasons that I believe in the story of Jonah, that it actually happened the way it's recorded. And really both of them kind of relate to and point back to Jesus Christ. Okay, the first reason I believe the story of Jonah is because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now stop and think about that for a moment. If you have no trouble believing that Jesus Christ was bodily raised from the dead after being in the tomb for three days, why would you have trouble believing that a man could survive in the belly of a fish for three days and be spit out on dry land? That's my first reason. My second reason is I believe the story of Jonah because Jesus believed it, and if it's good enough for Jesus, It's good enough for me. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 through 41, he said, as Jonah was in the belly, was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, there again, Jesus is talking about his death. He said, the men of Nineveh, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now one greater than Jonah is here. See, you may be a complete skeptic. You may not believe the Bible. You may not believe in Jesus. And I think one of the reasons people kind of get hung up on Jonah is a lot of times we really don't understand what the book of Jonah is really all about. See, the book of Jonah, it's not primarily about Jonah. It's not primarily about the fish because the fish is only mentioned four times. Jonah is only mentioned 18 times. The book of Jonah is really about God because he's mentioned 38 times. Specifically, the book of Jonah is about God, his will, and us. The reason why Jonah is in the Bible is because he was a fugitive who is on the run from God and God's plans and will for his life. And our common thread, I mean, the one thing every one of us in this room holds in common with Jonah is every one of us in this room at one time or another in our lives have run from God. Some of you in this room may kind of currently be running from God. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 kind of captures it like this. And he said, all of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's path to follow our own. And that is really what the story of Jonah is all about. In fact, every one of us in this room run for the same reasons. Do you realize that? Every one of us, we kind of run from God for the same reason. It's one of the things, again, that we hold in common with each other. You know why we run? We run from God because we think we're going to miss out on something good. That God has a will. You know, God has a plan. He has an agenda for my life. And, and if I do what God wants me to do, it's going to be boring If I go where God wants me to go, you know where God's going to send me? God's going to send me to some malaria-filled swamp in some third world country. And I don't want to go because I don't want to be miserable. And so I'm just going to run from God. So we want something totally different for our lives than what God wants. And if we go with God's plan, you know what? We're going to miss out on something big, something huge. So God, see ya because I don't want to miss out on good things. So we run from God. God's kind of in the rearview mirror of life because we don't trust him and the plans he has for our lives. I can remember just from my own life, you know what? There was a time when I was on the run from God and his plan, his will for my life. I was in my senior year at Iowa Wesleyan College in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. And believe it or not, I had eight credit hours out of, I think, 120 credit hours I had taken at the college so far. I had eight credit hours left until I completed my bachelor's degree, and I was just so burned out from school. I was so exhausted from the regiment of school that I just decided to quit and just up and moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado. Everyone was just dumbfounded by my decision to leave when I just had eight credit hours left. Everyone tried talking me out of doing it, my parents, my friends, my pastor at the time, many of my Christian friends, but I had made up my mind and nothing was gonna change my mind. So I moved to Colorado Springs, I I will recommend, if you're going to run from God, I can't recommend any greater place than Colorado Springs. But I'll tell you what, the whole time, my two years there, I knew God was telling me, go back and finish what you started. Finish the degree. But I just ran from him and what he was calling me to do. I know what it is to be on the run from God, his plans, his will for my life. I did eventually go back and finish my bachelor's degree, but that's another story. And again, there are people maybe in this room this morning who have been or maybe you're kind of currently on the run from God and his will. And like I said, we always run for the same reason. We're afraid we're going to miss out on something good. Good. We believe God's will, his plan for our lives is going to make us miserable. It's going to be boring. And since we don't want that, we just choose to go our own way. And the truth is, when we decide to run from God, there really are basically two mindsets we adopt that make it really easy for us to run from God. And we're either afraid or we're arrogant. We're either afraid of God's will and plans for our lives, or we are just so arrogant, so prideful, we think we know better what we ought to be doing than God does. We think we're smarter than He is. And so we try running from God just to prove to ourselves we can manage our lives with minimal input or no input from God. So let me go ahead and just kind of give you the punchline to this whole story. Because what Jonah discovered is what many of us have discovered, and that is, while you can run from God, you can never outrun God. Muhammad Ali was going to fight one of his early opponents, and a newspaper reporter said to him before the match, Muhammad, your opponent said he's just going to get inside the ring, get on his toes, and he's just going to run from you the entire fight. And Ali just smiled and made that infamous statement, You can run, but you can't hide. You know, Adam and Eve kind of learned that lesson there in the Garden of Eden. And Jonah is about to learn that same lesson, the hard way on a ship. And what we're going to learn over the next several weeks is a lesson. I just pray God will just sear into our hearts if you're thinking about running or you are running and it is this obedience always brings blessings, disobedience always brings burdens. Obedience always brings blessings, disobedience always brings burdens. Maybe not right away, but eventually that's what you'll find. So how do we become fugitives like Jonah? I mean, how is it that we kind of begin this journey of running from God? I mean, what causes us to go east when God says to go west? What is it that causes us to go there when God says go here? I believe it really is basically the same process for everyone And you pretty much find it, and you see it here in the book of Jonah. And there really are four steps to becoming a fugitive on the run from God. And the first step is God demands. Jonah chapter 1, beginning with the first verse, look what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their wickedness has come Up before me. Now, again, the story kind of starts off simple enough. God's word came to Jonah. Okay? God's word simply represents God's will because God's word is God's will, and that really is what the Bible is all about. From the first chapter in Genesis to that final chapter there in Revelation, God is revealing, God is declaring, He is telling us what His will, His plans, His purposes are for us. Now, again, you will notice that God's Word comes in the form of a command. Because what you're going to discover is God's Word always comes in the form of a command and a demand. I challenge you to try something as you're engaged in the daily Bible reading. Again, today we are are on Matthew chapter 8. So as you're kind of in that daily process, see if you can ever find God asking anybody to do anything. What you're going to discover is he never does. God never makes a request. He never gives a suggestion Every time God speaks, he is always commanding and demanding. Think back to your English grammar classes in school. If you were paying attention, you would have learned that verbs have three moods. A mood is simply the manner in which a verb expresses an action or a state of being. And we learned that there are three moods in English. There is the indicative mood. The subjective mood and the imperative mood. Now, the indicative mood either makes a statement or it's asking a question. John gave me a birthday present is in the indicative mood. The subjunctive mood is used to express a wish or a doubt or a condition which is contrary to fact. And oftentimes you'll find that kind of uh, expressed with the word if. If I were you, I would always give me a birthday gift. That is in the subjective mood. Now, the imperative mood is used to express a command or a demand. It is found only in the present tense second person. You will remember my birthday and you will get me a gift. That is the imperative mood. Now, what I want you to understand is God is never in a good mood or a bad mood. God is always in the imperative mood. God's word is God's will, and God's will is always expressed in both a demand and a command. God doesn't give us options. For example, 2 Corinthians 6.14, God says, do not marry unbelievers. Okay? He doesn't qualify that by saying, but if you're going to marry an unbeliever, at least marry a nice one. Or if you're going to marry an unbeliever, at least marry one that will go to church with you occasionally. No. God commands and he demands, do not marry an unbeliever. God tells us in Ephesians 5.18, not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, there's no exceptions, no conditions to this. God commands and demands certain things for our lives. And again, one of the reasons why we sometimes resist and refuse God's will is because frankly, it's not always easy, right? Look what God told Jonah to do in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians, they were the sworn mortal enemies of Israel. They're kind of like Hamas or Al-Qaeda today concerning Israel. And what God was asking Jonah to do there in verse 2 would be like asking a Jew in 1942 to go to Germany and to tell Hitler to repent, to turn from his wicked ways that God loved him and had a wonderful plan for his life. There are times that God asks us to do things wrong that are not easy, and things we don't want to do. And in this case, God was asking Jonah, he said, I want you to go to that rebellious, that wicked, evil, pagan nation, and I want you to preach to them, and I want you to call them to repentance that they might receive my mercy, my kindness. Jonah didn't want to do that. He wanted his enemies The Ninevites to receive the wrath and the judgment of God. Jonah didn't want to do it. He wanted the Ninevites wiped off the face of the earth. Just like many of us, many times in this room, we want to see our enemies, those who come against us, those who persecute us those who cause us to suffer, we want them to see and to taste the wrath of God. In different and various ways, we run from God and we stay silent. Nevertheless, for Jonah, I want you to understand at this point in the story, there's no harm, there's no sin, no disobedience, no foul. The second step in becoming a runner from God is we decide If you've ever watched Fox News, you'll know that they say, we report, you decide. God says, I demand, you decide. In other words, every day of our lives, the number one responsibility that we will always have in our relationship and walk with God is this, will we decide to do his will or not? God demands, but God does not force us to obey his demands. Frankly, I think we would all be much better off if he did. But God loves us so much that he gives us the freedom to make our own choices, to make our own decisions. And the beauty is, when you decide to say yes to God, you kind of position yourself in that place where Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when you say yes to God, it's there you'll be able to begin to discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But here's the important thing. Though your yes, though your obedience to God may cause you to face Difficulties, challenges, persecutions, suffering on the outside. You will face great peace and contentment on the inside. The trouble for every one of us starts when we say no to God. But the next three words in verse 3 says it all. But Jonah ran. You know, it's one thing to resist God's will, but it's another thing to just flat out refuse it. However, Jonah goes further than just resisting God's will. Verse 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. Jonah was determined not just to run from God. He was all about getting as far away from God as he could possibly get. So you may not realize this, but Nineveh was 500 miles northeast of where Jonah was at that time. And Tarshish was like 2,500 miles southwest of Jonah. It, It would be paramount to telling someone to go to New York City, but they decide to go to Los Angeles instead. But Jonah had made his decision just like we do every time. And there's something I want you to kind of remember, because this is important. There's really only two cities mentioned in the book of Jonah. Nineveh and Tarshish. See, Nineveh represents God's will. It represents saying yes to God. It represents obedience. Tarshish represents your will, your agenda, your plans. Nineveh represents what God wants you to do, and Tarshish represents what you want to do. And every day of your life, whether you realize it or not, you will visit one of those two cities And I want to warn you of something. Every time you choose Tarshish over Nineveh, it's going to cost you something. Every time you choose to say no to God instead of yes to God, it's going to cost you something. Listen to the rest of verse 3. Jonah went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I don't just skip over that little phrase there, after he paid the fare. It's going to cost you something. Paying the fare there represented, it was costing Jonah something to flee from the Lord. Jonah thought he had all of his problems solved by buying a ticket on a boat. But you know what? It was just the beginning of what it was going to cost him because he was about to learn what we too often learn the hard way and that is the most expensive thing you will ever buy in your life is a ticket to get away from God if you're thinking about running from God if you're thinking about going north when God says to go south you are going to be amazed at how often you will find a ship, you'll find a boat, you'll find a way to escape from God, do you know why? Because the devil's just, in, just as interested in opening doors when you want to say no to God, just like God is interested in opening doors for you when you say yes to God. And as you're going to see, when you think you're actually kind of getting away with it, there'll come a time where you kind of really believe that, you know, you're the first person in history who has successfully outran, gotten away from God with no consequences. And Jonah teaches us that when you are in the valley of decision, if you're not careful and you say no to God, you're going to walk right into the pit of disaster. When you make the wrong decision and you take the wrong path, you're going to hit the dead end of disaster every time. Isn't that true in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? He thought when he walked out of that house with his father's, his share of his father's inheritance, all that money stuff in his pockets, he was heading out to live life in the fast lane. He was going to be going from one party to another party. But eventually, one party gave way to a pig pen. See, the devil will provide the ship. He may give you the fare, but God provides the storm. Now we see the third step to becoming a runaway, we disobey. I want to go back to verse 3 for just a moment, and I want you to see two phrases there. The first one is, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. The second one is he went aboard to flee from the Lord. Do you realize Jonah was not interested on going on a sightseeing tour to Tarshish? He wasn't interested on going on some kind of a ocean cruise. Jonah had really one goal in mind. He wanted to get away from God as fast and as far as he could. He wanted to flee, not just from the presence of God, but the purpose of God. I want you to understand something. Every time you flee the presence of God, you are also fleeing the purposes of God for your life. I want you to understand, God is patient. He's long-suffering. He's gracious with us as long as we are in the valley of decision. When we're back there in that first step, you know, God commands that I talked about earlier, as we're kind of wrestling with God's call, God's will for our lives, we haven't done anything wrong. There's no harm. There's no foul. There's no sin. There's no disobedience. God understands. There are times where he'll ask us to do things and we may be afraid to do it. God understands that. God even takes mercy on us when we are so arrogant and prideful to think that we know better for our lives than he does. The problem comes when either the fear or the pride leads to disobedience. And that is when the trouble starts. I want you to remember this about sin and disobedience. Whenever you decide in any area of your life, big or small, to run from God, whenever you decide to go east, when God says to go west, you are about to take a trip that is always longer, costlier, and harder. Jesse Duplantis puts it this way. He said, sin and disobedience, it will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that's true. I want you to notice the fourth step in the life of the runner. Because even though it's a hard step, it illustrates how much God loves us, even when we are on the run from him The fourth step is God disciplines. And I know for some of us that it's a hard concept. We don't like to think of God as a disciplinarian. But listen to verse 4 through 5. Then the Lord, God, sent a great wind on the sea. God sent such a violent storm that arose that the, the... that threatened the ship to break up. All of the sailors, all those who were aboard, were afraid. And it says each one cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now, you know it's a bad storm when sailors are afraid. But, folks, when sailors start praying, you know it is a really bad storm, right? I mean, you got to feel sorry for these sailors. They didn't ask for this. They weren't the problem. Remember, this was a cargo ship. These sailors were delivering cargo to Tarshish, and it's how they made their money to feed their families. You know what? If the cargo doesn't get to Tarshish, they don't get paid. All because of one stubborn prophet who said no to God, the cargo was lost, and their money goes down the drain. But you know what? There's a great lesson to be learned here. And the lesson is this. Runners always hurt those who are close to them or around them. Do you realize when you're running from God, family and friends will be impacted, they will be hurt by the shrapnel of your life when you're running from God? When you're disobedient, when you're rebelling against God, who gets hurt, who gets affected? Not just you, but your kids get affected, your parents get affected, your spouse gets affected, your friends get affected, and the wounds and the hurt and the heartache of your running from God. They just spread like a spilled drink on a floor. Chapter 1 says the sailors have tried everything to save the ship, and all hands are on deck except one, and they notice Jonah is missing. Jonah's nowhere to be found. So the story continues, verse 5 through 6, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Story says that everyone else had tried praying to their God and it didn't work. So they had one last card in the deck and that card was Jonah. And so they thought about asking him to pray to see if maybe his prayer would help. I remember the story of a ship that was sinking in the middle of a storm, and the captain called out to the crew. And he said, Do any of you aboard ship know how to pray? And one man stepped forward and said, Yes, sir, I know how to pray. And the captain said, Wonderful. You pray while the rest of us put on life jackets. We're one short. The story continues in verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Can I let you in on a little secret? They could have cast lots 5,000 times and every time the lot would have landed on Jonah. When God commands you to do something and you refuse to do it, he doesn't just leave you and say, okay, I'll go see if I can find someone else. God is going to do whatever he has to do to bring you full circle. Because God is not interested in paying you back. God is interested in bringing you back. See, we think when we disobey God and God's in pursuit of us that God is there to kind of pay us back. That's not at all on God's agenda. That's not at all on God's heart. It's not at all what God is attempting to do. He's not, he's not pursuing you to get you back. He's pursuing you to bring you back. So the story kind of continues. Verse 8 So they asked Jonah, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. this terrified them. When he made that declaration, I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. They freaked out. And they ask him, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they ask him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? At this point, in the story. If Jonah had just simply looked upward, looked to heaven, and said to God, okay, you win. I'm done running. I will go to Nineveh. I will do your word. I will do your will. You know what would have happened if Jonah simply would have stopped and done that? The sea would have calmed. The storms would have ceased. The sun would have come out, and everybody would have lived happily ever after. But that's not what Jonah does. Notice his response in verse 12. He says to the sailors, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He said, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, this is amazing to me. Jonah is maybe where some of you are right now, perhaps. Jonah was so stubborn, so obstinate, so bullheaded, so determined to disobey that he basically said, I would rather die than do God's will. It reminds me of the story about a little girl named Shauna who was this classic strong-willed child. When she was just four years old, she kept trying to go AWOL on her tricycle. Her mom really kind of got fed up with her disobedience and she said, look, Shauna, there is a tree right here and there is a driveway right there. You can ride your tricycle on the sidewalk in between the driveway and the tree, but you can't go past that. If you do go past that, you are going to get a spanking. Now, I've got to go inside. I've got a lot of things to do, but I am going to be watching you don't you go past either one of those boundaries or you're going to get a spanking. Shauna looked at her mom for a moment, got off her tricycle, backed up to her mom, pointed to her posterior and said, well, you might as well spank me now because I got places to go. Sometimes we're like that with God. God, do what you want to do. Say what you want to say. But I'm going to go where I want to go, do what I want to do, because I've got places to go. I've got things to do. Verses 16 and 17. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And we're going to pick up the story right there next week. But I want want you to kind of see as we close this is that Jonah found the same thing in the fish that he found on the boat. And that was God had been waiting for him the entire time. See, when you run from God, God doesn't chase you. He just waits for you. And then he does everything he can do to kind of bring you back to himself. Again, not to pay you back, but just to bring you back. I hope that by now many of you are kind of, you know, taking some time to journal in what you're doing with your daily Bible reading. Again, if you're not familiar with that, we do have cards uh, out there on the table. If you missed last week, uh, kind of shows uh, exactly what you should be reading, uh, which days. So today was Matthew chapter 8, and then this coming week, we're going to ask you at some point to read Jonah chapter 2. Next Sunday, I'm going to kind of preach on that. And one of the goals we've been doing with the Bible reading is hoping that you're taking time to journal and just kind of reflect, what is God saying to you uh, in these readings? What is God saying to you in the book of Jonah? So maybe as you're kind of journaling this week, maybe kind of just journal on these questions I put on the backside, the bottom of your outline there. And, And it's just simply this, are you headed in the wrong direction in life? You know, are you going north and God's telling you to go south? Have you kind of gotten on the wrong ship? Is there an area in your life, maybe relationships, maybe with your finances, maybe with your career, your job? Are there things in your life where you're just saying no to God because you think you know better? Or you're afraid that maybe if you do what God wants you to do, he's going to kind of destroy all of your fun. So is there an area in your life where you're saying no to God when you ought to be saying yes? Maybe just think about those areas. One of the things I kind of did this week was was kind of just started thinking, what are the Ninevehs in my life? What are the things I'm saying yes to God? And, And what are those Tarshish areas in my life? where I'm saying no to God, or I'm kind of resisting whatever it is I feel God doing, and maybe just kind of put a line down the center of the paper, Nineveh on one side, Tarshish on the other. Just ask God to speak to you in the midst of that. And what I think you'll find is you'll find that there's a loving God waiting for you. No matter where you go, Again, God doesn't chase after you. He's just there waiting whenever you get there. I love what David says in Psalm 139. He said, If I make my bed in the highest heavens, you're there. You're already there. If I choose to make my bed in the pit of hell, you're there. He says, Where can I go to flee from your presence? And the answer is nowhere. God is everywhere. And in God being everywhere, God is there waiting. That is why God sent Jesus 2,000 years ago to let every runner know there is a way home. There's a way back to the Father. And Jesus is the way to get there. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord. For again, the story of Jonah, and it's not just Jonah's story, but for all of us, it's our story. Just different circumstances where we've all run from you at one time or another. There may be some of us even here this morning that are kind of in the midst of running from you, running away from your will, running away from your plans, your purposes for our lives. And God, again, often that is just out of fear, out of arrogance. So, God, I pray for the runner this morning. That, God, if there's any here who are actively running from you, that, God, they would come to realize what all of us realize is we can run from you, but, God, we can't outrun you. There's nowhere we can go. There's nowhere we can flee your presence. That, God, you are everywhere. So, God, I just pray for the runner this morning whether they're running in big ways or small ways, whether they're resisting your will in big ways or little ways, whatever that may be, God, I pray, Lord, again, that they would just encounter your goodness, encounter your mercy, encounter your kindness, that, God, you're not, you're not after them. You're not waiting for them, God, to get them back. You're there to bring them back. So, God, that is your heart for the runner. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that if there are any here today, God, that they would just stop running and just simply look up and say, God, not your will, not my will, but your will be done, God. And so, Lord, let that be our response. Let that be our heart in the midst of our running. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your presence We thank you again, God, for new insights. We thank you, God, as we begin to look into chapter two, that, God, you're going to encounter us there, that, God, you're going to open our eyes to truth there as well. So, Father, we just pray as we engage you in your word, God, again, you're just going to meet us, that, God, you're going to open our minds to the scriptures, as Luke talked about. And, Father, we just thank you For what we'll find, we thank you ahead of time for what we're going to discover about you that you are good, that you're gracious, that you're merciful, that you're kind, and that you are for us and not against us. So, Father, we just thank you for your encountering us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.